Ladies and gentlemen, greetings to you. Welcome, one and all, to the very first ever Breakdown Walls official podcast. Oh man, there's going to be something something else. I am Brandon Cole, also known to some as Super Fly Man. I can't believe I can still do that. And I and I am uh, slightly ill, so I apologize for that. But I think we can still do this. I think we still put on a pretty good show. Um, today, on this first episode, I'm going to talk about a couple things, uh, including my experience going to E3 for the very first time. I'm going to go over all of that and uh, cover all the ins and outs of that, all the things I can talk about. Oh yeah, there's some stuff I can't talk about. Oh god. I'm going to cover that. Oh, there we go. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> Sorry. Alright, we're going to cover that. And we're also going to discuss a couple of different topics I wanted to go over. Uh, the first of which is Google Stadia. I want to talk about that a little bit. I also want to talk a little bit about VR um, and discuss the implications for a blind gamer uh, when it comes to virtual reality. So that's my plan for today. Um, and I will be doing an episode of this, by the way, once a week. Uh, that'll be um, every Wednesday. Sorry, you'll, you'll, it'll be published every Wednesday. There will be times probably when I have to record it on a different day, but it will be published every Wednesday. And um, I am considering guests as well. So if you'd like to be a guest on the show, let me know. I have some ideas for people that I definitely want to be guests on the show. Um, and I'm going to, uh, as I said on Twitter uh, at one point, I'm going to test the tensile strength of my connections, the, the connections I've built over the last several years. So we're going to see if anyone uh, you know that that uh, falls in that category wants to be on the show. Um, so that's going to be it for the intro. I'm going to go right into the discussion of E3 here in a moment. Again, thank you guys for listening to this. I, I have, I, I, for some reason, I'm feeling very optimistic. I think this podcast is going to go really well, and that's going to be because of you guys. So thank you guys for listening to this. And that, you know, Angel Bob, our cat, thanks you as well. So, so we're going to get right into it. It's time to talk about E3. Okay, guys, let's talk about E3. So E3 was, this is, of course, my perspective as a blind person and a blind gamer. So, you know, it kind of goes both ways here. So E3 was a very interesting experience for me. Um, to, to give some context here, I was invited out to E3 by the ESA themselves, the organization that uh, is responsible for E3. Um, and it was actually for their second ever, I actually misquoted this, uh, on Twitter before I went out to E3. This was their second ever accessibility event. They apparently did one last year, too. Um, and what their choice was was to focus on a different disability each time they invited people out there. Or, or you know, different disability groups, if, if you will. So, well, it's, it's honestly, it's a little confusing. I'll explain. I'll explain in a second. Um, so what I was told was last year, the primary focus was the deaf community. Um... And this year, the primary focus was the blind community. However, <laughs> however, there were also some uh, deaf uh, people. I think there were two of them, two I think, that were uh, that were there as well this year. So I'm a little bit confused on that point. But there you go. That was what I was told was the uh, was the original plan for that. Um. So, um, let's see where where was I? Oh yeah. So the ESA invites uh, invites me out there to E3. I'm over the moon about this idea. Um, I was joking not too long ago, you know, you know, as, as, as early as a couple years back, I was joking, hey man, I wonder if I'll ever be invited to E3. Wouldn't that be cool? It would be amazing. And uh, lo and behold, I was. Um, I took my fiance with me, of course. She is a wonderful, well, obviously a wonderful person, but also a tremendous teammate to have, you know, at your side with this kind of thing. Uh, especially if you're a blind person walking through those those the giant convention center, you know it it it's nice to have someone there to to walk with you and to help you and and to point out things to tell you what's all around you and stuff like that. It's it's nice. Um, so I took her with. She had some issues while we were there, uh, because she um, she currently has a pulse issue. She has a, a problem with her heart that we don't know exactly what it is just yet. But basically, even small activities will cause her heart rate to spike uh, tremendously. It comes back down, which is a good sign, according to her doctors, but um, it does spike, and that's a little bit concerning, even with small activities. So, um, 
she actually took a wheelchair just to avoid uh, that happening as much as possible, you know? And it was uh, a little bit of a nightmare for her, so I, I give her all the credit in the world for sticking with it and, you know, you know doing the thing with me. So, I, I, you know, I appreciate the crap out of that. Um, but anyway, she struggled a little bit because she had to wheel the wheelchair all around E3. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't the, the coolest and most awesome experience of all time um, for her because she had to deal with the, the carpeting of E3. So uh, I, have, I have followers, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into this uh, in, in a little bit of detail right now. I have followers who've expressed to me that they're very curious about this year's um, E3 when it comes to the handicapped and how accessible is E3 as a, as a, as a you know, venue, as an event. I will say this, from what I was told happened in the past, I believe this year it was much, much more accessible. As I understand it, that has a lot to do with uh, people like Cherry Ray, who uh, is another a fellow accessibility advocate, and uh, um, also she is motor impaired as well. So she, having to be in a wheelchair herself, heavily fought for accessibility at E3. It seemed to me that it was heavily improved from the, sto- the horror stories I heard from, from uh, on Twitter from other people. Um, so this is the first E3 I've been to, so I can't, I can't actually speak to this 100%, but I will tell you this. At every point, while we were there, while we were at the convention center, we always had someone that was willing to help us. And I'm talking about E3 staff here, so we were trying to find the right entrance we needed to go into to get our badges and everything. Uh, a member of E3 staff came out from the booth where they were, I don't know what they were doing there necessarily, but they came out from their booth and walked us all the way over there. To where we were supposed to be. So that was that was wonderful of them to do that. Um, and I did notice there were a there were accessibility ramps leading to each entrance. Um, never did we have to deal with stairs. There was always there, there was an elevator option as well. So you know that was that was available to us. Obviously that that's helpful too. Um, the only problem, the only accessibility issue as far as wheelchairs go, I'll, I'll go into another thing uh, briefly uh, in a moment. But the only other uh, wheelchair accessibility issue was the carpeting. In some of the E3 booths, uh, it was plush. You know what I'm saying? It was really plush. Yes, the cat knows what I'm saying. He knows. He knows what I'm talking about. He's all about that plush carpeting. Um, it was really plush. Really, really, really. And now my voice is cracking. Now, now I'm doing it on purpose because it's fun. Anyway, carpeting was really plush. And I mean, we're talking about layered, thick carpeting layered in in the Fortnite booth i believe there were three layers of carpeting on the floor of the Fortnite booth so while it was great and nice and comfy and soft and plushy to walk on it was not great if you had a wheelchair so um you know (laughs) i mean what else is there to say about that um that that was a problem and we we by the way another thing i need to point out is the people that were running this event um, the, the people from the ESA who are running this, we're all about hearing our feedback. We, uh, we were asked eventually to, um, uh, basically tell one of the, uh, people that were there any accessibility concerns regarding E3 that we had. And so we were very easily able to tell him, hey, you know, it would be helpful to, if you want to have this carpet, fine, but have at least one lane that's wheelchair accessible, one lane open for wheelchair users. So we were able to give him that feedback, and he said that he would do his part to, to make sure that was, uh, you know, passed along. So that was that was really good of them. They wanted to hear how they could improve, and that's I I, I appreciate that. So um, when we first got there, we went to go get our badges, um, which we found out before we got there, our badges were good for the whole week. So had we chosen to arrive earlier. If we, you know, if we were willing to foot the bill, which we, we really weren't, but had we chosen to do that, uh, we could have gone to E3 at any point during that week and gotten in, you know, at any time. It, it's, it's crazy to me. Like, I thought that, I thought they were going to give us day passes, basically, but no, the badges were good for the entire week. Shocking, I say, shocking. Um, so we got our badges and we decided, I know, I know, we got our badges, Bob. This cat is going to be a part of this podcast, I tell you what. Uh, we decided 
that since we were already there, we were going to go run around E3 for a little while and have some fun and try some things if we could. And what that amounted to was a couple things. We did go and uh, kind of see the sights a little bit, walk around E3, walk around one of the halls. Um, let's see. We stopped at a couple of merch booths, uh, and Misty picked up some things that she really wanted. Um, but the really cool thing that happened during that time, it was all arranged by Misty because I was, I was being myself and all super, you know, I'm not worthy of this kind of you know, thing. We walked up to the Mortal Kombat 11 booth. And Misty points out to the attendant there that here we have a blind gamer who wants to show his stuff in Mortal Kombat 11. Uh, and they were super into that. They were super intrigued by that idea. So they asked me, uh, what do I want to do? Do I want to just play or do I want to fight one of the developers? And I was like, yeah, developer sounds good. I shouldn't have said that, but I, I did. No, no, I take it back. It was, it was a really great experience. Uh, so... Uh, they did indeed bring me someone that is familiar to anyone who watches the combat cast, uh, Stephanie, um, from the, the, the NetherRealm head of QA, uh, who is always on every combat cast showing off the characters and what's, uh, what's new about them, what's, what's awesome about them, you know, that's what she does. That's who I faced. Now, before the match happened, before the match happened, uh, there was a little bit of uh, confusion and a little bit of uh, a drama. Well, not drama, but a little bit of work we had to get done. Because, you see, there was no headset over there. There were no headphones whatsoever. So, over the uh, looping trailer, the Mortal Kombat trailer that was playing, the Shang Tsung trailer, um, over that, plus all the people all around and everything else, I couldn't hear the game that I was supposed to be playing against this person. So... Uh, they decided to not let that uh, stop them, which was great of them. I, I, I applaud them. Uh, they had someone hunt down a pair of Astro headphones, which ended up having the Mortal Kombat logo on them. So they're Mortal Kombat branded Astro headphones. Had them hunt those down. And then they had to struggle with the system a little bit because the consoles they had set up were the kind that were not meant to be tampered with. So even the controller was kind of bolted in, you know, it was kind of a, meant to not be removed, obviously. So they had to kind of mess with it a little bit. But they got it working. By golly, they got it working. And I played against Stephanie from NetherRealm QA, and it was a wonderful experience. Now, you if you were there when I did it, you would have heard me, you know, kind of doubting myself a little bit. Because I didn't win. I mean, but then again, <laughs> she's head of QA, okay? She's head of QA. She spends more time with these characters than anyone gets to spend. She's been playing Shang Tsung for months. She's, uh, she helps create these characters. She helps make decisions about what's gonna, you know, what these characters are gonna be able to do. There's no shame in losing to that, you know? And the fact is, I didn't do terribly. According to Misty, uh, I can't really verify, but according to Misty, I had her around 40% of her health both rounds that we fought. She won both rounds. But to be able to reduce uh, anyone of that level... By the way, also, she's a former tournament uh, player, so there you go. It's, she's naturally good, anyway. But to be able to reduce anyone um, to that level of health that is that good, that's on that level, um, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm proud of it. So, yay for that. I fought Stephanie, I lost, but man, I had a good time. Um, for my efforts... Oh, I need a... My voice needs to quit. All right, for my efforts, I got a commemorative Mortal Kombat Shang Tsung coin that I now have. Uh, and uh, Misty got one as well. She she ended up uh, playing against me after I fought uh, Stephanie, and she beat me too. <laughs> she beat me too. Uh, I think because I was nervous. I was super nervous the whole time I was there. I mean, she's really Misty's really good anyway. She's surprisingly good. So there's that, but. I was also super nervous the whole time I was there because I was, you know, trying to show what a blind person could do in front of people, and it's it's uh, it's a little nerve wracking when you try to do that. Um, but anyway, it it was fun. So she got a coin too. We both got commemorative coins, which were great. Um, and that was pretty much all we did the first day. Merch booths and that were the big attractions for the first day. Um, so then the event came, the actual event on the thirteenth of June. 
Um, we started in the morning, and we got to, we met up with the ESA in the morning. Uh, also, was a great experience. Someone helped us to the correct entrance again from the from E3 staff. Someone helped us again to the right entrance, and we were met there by the ESA, who um, guided us around for basically the whole the whole thing. And even since, so one of the problems if you're blind and your fiance is in a wheelchair is. You can help push the wheelchair, yes, but you don't know which way you're supposed to be steering at any given point necessarily. So it made sense, and fortunately for us, they were kind enough to do this. Someone actually uh, agreed to help Misty uh, with her wheelchair while I, you know, kind of used them as a guide. So it worked. It was it was good for, for us for that, too. Um, so they met us there, and we began our tour. So basically, it was a VIP tour of multiple booths at the ESA, and... Uh, all the booths were expecting us. So, you know, it was like certain booths, not not just random booths. They were all booths that were part of the tour. They're expecting us. They were, you know, expecting us to talk about accessibility and show off what they've done for accessibility and so on and so forth. So uh, we went to Nintendo's booth and we got to try out. We actually had our, our pick of any of the new games that were shown during Nintendo Direct for us to try out. I actually tried a little bit of uh, Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Um, because that was the closest one I thought to myself, based on based on the games that were available to try. That one made the most sense for me to try as a blind gamer. I thought, because really, when it comes to accessibility, unfortunately, Nintendo's still a, little, a, a bit behind. Um, they haven't really done much intentionally for accessibility, at least for blind accessibility. I should I should make sure that is yes. I know I know I should I should phrase things correctly, Bob. Thanks for telling me. Um, they haven't really done anything intentional for blind accessibility. They've done things, I think, for subtitles and for colorblind accessibility, but uh, total blind accessibility, they haven't really messed with at all. So no narrated menus, no anything like that. Um, but I figured that was the closest one. The one I had, the one I was most likely to be able to play, given the games shown off in Nintendo Direct. There was no Smash, by the way. Smash was not an option, or I would have just gone with that. Like, try the new characters in Smash! No, that wasn't a choice. Um... So I tried that, and it was kind of fun. And I say it was kind of fun because it was a, it was a way for me to uh, meet with one of the people that was involved in uh, with Nintendo, show them what was difficult and why I couldn't do th- things that I couldn't do, and discuss how it could improve. Because the person from Nintendo had to guide me around, you know, tell me which way to go to get this and that and this. And she also was kind enough, she read the dialogue to me. So all the spoken dialogue we encountered in the introduction of the game and, and that sort of thing. She read she read aloud, which is really cool of her. So right there, she got to experience what uh, being a blind gamer was like in a game that is definitely not made for a blind gamer to play it. And so, you know, I kind of, I, I talked to her a little bit too. I didn't have much time, but I talked to her a little bit too about how um, I was a consultant and how... Um, you know, I, I could always come up with ideas about how to make this game more accessible and things like that. She seemed interested. And uh, there was a Nintendo PR guy there that we did tell about that. And we gave him our business card. And uh, so uh, that was that, basically. I was at the Nintendo booth. It was, it, was, it was a really cool experience, though. So hopefully one day, maybe Nintendo will contact me. Maybe they won't, but hopefully they do. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Speaking of business cards, I did forget one thing. Um, on the first night... When we foolishly, and this is this is my fault as, as much as anyone's, it probably is mostly my fault, I did not bring my business cards uh, to go pick up our badges and hang around E3 for the first night when we didn't have to be there. I chose not to bring our business cards, which was a terrible choice. Because we actually, uh, one thing I forgot to mention, we got, we got into the Bethesda booth, and we, uh, we got a chance to speak with one of the, uh, the programmers at Bethesda. And I kind of sold myself as a consultant. You know, I'd love to work with you guys, blah, 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 that sort of thing. And um, I didn't have a business card to give her. <laughs> I didn't have a business card to give her. So instead, I uh, gave her my website and said, hey, check that out. Everything is there. Um, you can find me there. So hopefully something comes to that, too. Uh, if not, then that's fine, too. But again, no business card, so I'm not expecting much. Because it's, it's really, it's my fault. It's my blunder. Um, I need to learn to always bring business cards everywhere I go. Anyway, um, so that was Nintendo. Then we got to go to, um, let's see. There was a little bit of confusion after Nintendo because we're supposed to go to Square Enix. 
but we didn't have um we didn't uh, we we got there too early i guess because uh nothing happened right away like we were we were kind of waiting for someone to show up there and we waited a few minutes but it ultimately we ended up just walking around for a little while and kind of separated and then we finally made our way back to Square, Enix, Square Enix's booth. And uh, once there, we got to see the extended demo for Marvel's Avengers uh, from Crystal Dynamic. And this was very cool. First of all, I gotta tell you guys, the audio for Marvel's Avengers is sick. I mean, it's sicker than me. No, just kidding. No, the audio is, <laughs> the audio is great. It's truly great. Uh, every impact sounds super impactful. When you when when the Hulk grabs two dudes by the head and smacks them together, does the clap? It just it's just a it's just great. I love it. I love every single impact sound in that game. All the audio is general generally just good. It's just well designed. It's really really awesome. Um, now these the demo for Avengers was given to us in a private room. Um. And it was given to us with uh, with headphones, so we had we all we all wore more Astros. By the way, Astros like the headphone of E3, I guess. Um, we all wore more Astros, but I had the additional benefit, and this is amazing. This is awesome. The Crystal Dynamics community manager, I believe, I believe she's community manager, or she's she's a social media manager, something 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 of that nature. Uh, she was kind enough and generous enough to sit there with me during the presentation. And audio describe the whole thing. I mean, isn't that great? Isn't that just awesome? I, I think it is. <laughs> okay. I think it's wonderful. I think it's tremendous. Um, so, at the end of that presentation, I can't really talk too much about the presentation because I don't know if they want us to. Uh, so I'm not going to go into details and specifics on that. Except to mention the Hulk thing and how, how good the audio is. Um, so at the end of that, uh, I gave her my business card, and I started discussing with her my ideas for how you could make the things we saw in that demo accessible. How that would work if you were a blind person, and how, you know, if, if the developer was on board with it. And she seemed like she was into it. Uh, she took my business card, which was, thank goodness I had them that day, and uh, she said that she would, uh, I, I told her, just contact me, we'll discuss it. So hopefully, something comes of that. Now, of course, it's only just after E3 now, so I'm, I'm not worried, because nothing's happened yet. It's fine. Um... You know, these people have to, have to recover just as much as we do. Uh, so there you go. So that, hopefully that's, that's another hopeful right there. And I do want to talk about the swag uh, we got from the Avengers uh, presentation. It, because it's so cool. It's so cool. So, um, current in information on the internet will tell you that the game starts on A-Day. Which is like the dedication of the San Francisco... Uh, Avengers Tower. They're just putting up a new Avengers Tower in San Francisco, and it's Dedication Day. It's gonna call it A Day. So wh some of the swag we got was uh, guest badges, like fake fake guest badges, as if we had been to A Day. It's it's so cool. <laughs> we have like A Day badges now. Um, we also got full a folder full of dossiers on all the Avengers. <laughs> it's so cool. It's the, it's the coolest swag I think. It's just like. The, the perfect swag to go with the presentation. I love it. So that was that. Um, then what was supposed to happen after that was we were supposed to do a Final Fantasy XIV presentation as well. We were all set and ready to do it. We were actually going to do it. Um, and we, were gonna, we actually were trying for more headphones because we're, we're, our plan was to have Misty play the game and have me listen to the game and have uh, see if I can come up with any ideas for accessibility and talk to them about that. So that was, we were trying to do that, and that didn't work out, unfortunately, but we were trying for it. Um, but it didn't really matter anyway, because before we actually got to start that uh, demo, the Final Fantasy XIV demo, uh, we were actually pulled in by Ubisoft, because it was uh, their time. See, Square Enix had been late, so now Ubisoft was like, hey, where are you guys? So yeah, we were pulled over to Ubisoft's uh, booth. Um, and... Uh, Let's see. Real quick, I want, to, I want to step back real quick because uh, real quick, I want to, we were, I'm talking about headphones here, and I forgot to mention uh, during the whole debacle with the Mortal Kombat 11 booth and having to find headphones for it, uh, we may have changed the landscape of NetherRealm's booths for the future. And the reason I say that is uh, they were discussing while they were looking for the headphones. They were saying, you know, 
We really should have a station for the visually impaired. We really should. So they said that the next day they would communicate with their facilities team, or maybe it's just, maybe it's just uh, E3's facilities team, I don't know, or the, the venue, the convention center's facilities team, and have them set up an external amp, an additional amp, that they can plug in headphones to without having to plug them into the controller. So a you know at least at at least one station, so the visually impaired could come along and play. You know, just in case there was more of us there, um, you know, so they could come along and play. So there you go. Um, I like I thought that was really neat. So hopefully in the future that just becomes the standard thing. Uh, I would love I would love to hear that if the, if that if that happened. Um, all right. So next up was Ubisoft's booth, and I I have to be honest here with you guys. I can't tell you much about this. Okay. We saw Watch Dogs Legion, the behind-closed-doors demo that they gave to the press for Watch Dogs Legion. That's what we got to see. Um, And I can't tell you a thing about it. (laughs) I told us not to talk about it, because a lot of things happened that were unexpected, uh, and there were things that even the press hadn't seen after that point. Uh, The other demos that had run that day... uh, Things happened that were unseen by everyone, so I can't really tell you about that. Uh, it's going to be a great game, though. <laughs> great game. Um, during that presentation, though, what I can tell you is they talked about their accessibility features um, for us, because that's what, that's, that's what we were there for. So they have um, a lot of the things you'd expect in, in uh, modern games these days. They have uh, subtitles you can change the size of. They have... Um, they have... Uh, what's it, what do they call that? They have captions that appear above the heads of the people that are involved in them. So, uh, direction, I think it's directional subtitle, I think is what it's called, where the, uh, what, what a character says appears above their head. And that goes for sound cues, too, for the captions. So if a sound plays and in a certain direction, you'll see which direction that, that sound came from. So they had all those things. And there are other things, too. And they do have menu narration as well. Now, I, I was quick to bring up the fact... Uh, to the, I, I believe it was the game director that was there. So I, I brought up the fact real quick that um, menu narration is great. And I love menu narration. I love that it's there. I appreciate that. Thank you for doing that. However, menu narration does not alone make a game playable. You know? So I, I was quick to bring that up to him. And uh, I think he got it. You know, I think, I think he got the point. I, I gave an example. I said, okay, let's say I have an objective to go to. It was, it was the easiest, simplest example I could think of. I said, say I have an objective to go to. How do I know where it is? He's like, huh. <laughs> huh, I'm not sure. So that was that. And that's basically all I can tell you about that. Um, uh, so then we had lunch. And lunch was difficult for me. Because anyone who knows me will tell you I'm extremely picky as far as food goes. I am very choosy. There's a lot of things I don't like. There's more things in this world I don't like than things that I do like. And that's just the way I am. I'm sorry, guys. Um, but we got through it, and I was fine. I survived it. Um, then we had time to basically wander around and do whatever we wanted for a little while. Uh, and we chose to go back to the hotel. Misty and I chose back to, to go back to the hotel because, I mentioned before, she has the pulse issue. She's in a wheelchair for that. And being in a wheelchair, wheeling yourself around like that, works your arms like you wouldn't believe. And... Uh, actually blistered her thumbs. So we chose to go back to the hotel and just rest up for a couple hours. And uh, so we did that. And once we rested up, um, we all met back up again at about 5.30 California time for what they called a a mixer. So it was all of us uh, back together again, all the ESA people that were there, all the the advocates and and, uh, social influencers and everyone that was there. We all met back up at a bar at a different hotel. And we all just hung out, you know? And that was that was great. Like, that was exactly what this event needed, you know? We all needed time to talk to each other as well. Because all this information needs to go back and forth between everyone there. So we all need to talk to each other as well. So I was talking a lot to um, a couple people. I talked to the fellow visually impaired uh, guy that was there with us... Uh, so there was me and there's a guy named Steve Saylor. You may have heard of him before also. He has a YouTube channel, I believe it's called The Blind Gamer, um, where he, you know, that's that's his primary source of, of, of uh, content, is YouTube. 
So I talked to him a long time about the presentations that day, about what we had, you know, what we had done, what we had talked about, uh, consultancy work, you know, all that stuff. And I also talked to a couple, through their interpreters, I talked to a couple of the deaf uh, people that, well, actually, uh, I think only one. Yeah, only one. One of the deaf people that were there, through an interpreter, actually through two interpreters, that's why I got confused. So at one point, the interpreter switched to a different one. <laughs> so uh, I talked to one of the deaf people that were there. And really, I think we really connected. Like, it was great. It was a great feeling that even though I couldn't communicate with that person directly, the fact that through their interpreter, through the the willingness of their interpreter to, uh, to um, well, to interpret, you know, to do, to, to stand there and talk about things that maybe they don't know everything about, but they're willing, you know. I just, it gave me a lot of respect for the job of interpreter, but it also gave me a great connection to someone. Because I think we agreed on a lot of the things that we talked about, about games and about um, ways that sensory experiences could be improved. We talked about, like, the Ready Player One haptic suits, you know, like how that could be used for both the deaf and the non-deaf. Because everyone's going to love, everyone's going to appreciate the ability to have, like, a sensation in their game. It just adds more immersion to their game. So, you know, we talked about that stuff. It, it, it was really great conversation. Really good stuff. And that was basically it. And then we were on our way home the next day. So uh, that's essentially E3 from my perspective. The, the takeaways here are this. The takeaways here are um, the conversations that I wanted to have, I had them. Okay. I want you guys to be aware. I had them. I did my part to promote blind accessibility and accessibility as a whole. And I had those conversations with the developers that I that we spoke to. And, you know, we'll have to see if anything comes of these conversations. But, to, you know, this is what it was all about. It was about the networking. And those conversations, they were had. So there you go. Um, the event was, I think, a really great event. I hope I'm invited back again at some point. Um, the accessibility of the event was uh, was great with a few things that we suggested to improve. The inclusion of headsets at stations for the visually impaired. We, By the way, we ended up suggesting that as an overall improvement to the, uh, the accessibility uh, lead that was there from the ESA. So we, we suggested that as an overall improvement for every station, not just Mortal Kombat. So hopefully some, that's, uh, that's acted upon too, because everyone should be able to try a game if they can. Um, if they want to. So we suggested that and the, uh, the, 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 uh, lanes for, uh, wheelchair users as opposed to non-wheelchair users. So we suggested all those things. Hopefully those, uh, those improvements are seen in the future. But other than those, it was a pretty accessible and, uh, event. And, uh, although the walks were long, it was all accessible in terms of ease of, of, uh, of getting from place to place. There were ramps, there were elevators, you know, there, you, you could get there on a wheelchair or not. So, uh, it was, it was great. It was a great event and I'm glad I participated in it and, uh, I would do it again. If, if they, if they want me back, I'll be back. That's, that's what I'm saying. Um, all right. So that's going to do it for this segment. Uh, let's move forward now and talk a little bit about a couple of topics. First of which I think we're going to talk about Google Stadia. Alright guys, so I want to take a second to talk about Google Stadia. Uh, Google Stadia is, if you don't know, the cloud gaming service that's going to be uh, on the market, I believe, this fall, when it's finally coming out. And I want to talk about it because I think there's some interesting stuff to talk about when it comes to this this, this thing. Even for us uh, totally blind uh, gamers as well. So, um, Google Stadia is a cloud gaming service, which means you do not download your game you are streaming your game directly from the cloud and you play your game as if, you know, as normal basically, but you're streaming from the cloud instead. So cloud gaming services get a bad rap um, and it's not all undeserved, but hear me out here. Okay. So when you're, when you're gaming from the cloud, there is the question of latency. Uh, the more latency, the worse your gaming experience is likely to be, especially in games that require you to do things at specific timing, you know, like shooters, for instance, or fighting games that require you to, in some cases, have, you know, take advantage of frame data, things like that. Um, so there are disadvantages to gaming from the cloud. There definitely are. Um, 
in my experience, I, I've, I've tried a couple of cloud services. I tried OnLive and I tried PlayStation Now. Um, OnLive had more lag than PlayStation Now currently does, I believe. It, you know, it seems that way to me anyway. I can have an enjoyable experience on PlayStation Now. Maybe that's because I don't... I don't need... I don't play many games that require very, very precise timing. I do play fighting games, but I'm, I've never been the type of fighting game player that, that uh, absorbs myself in frame data and, you know, how safe is this versus how many plus, how, how plus or minus is this, this hit string? You know, you know, maybe I should uh, be one of those fighting game players, but I'm not. So there you go. Uh, at least not currently. So even fighting games, I've had, I've had very little trouble with, even, uh, you know, on PlayStation Now in the cloud. So my experience with cloud gaming has been a relatively good one so far. Now, I believe that with Stadia, we may be in for a surprise. I think that people are being very fair with their uh, estimations of, of cloud gaming so far. Um, and that, yes, there is latency and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, the, the honest truth is there will always be latency. There, there's never going to be a lagless cloud gaming system. Never going to be completely lagless. But I think we are in for a surprise. It makes sense to me that I believe that, that Google Stadia is going to have the least amount of latency of any cloud gaming solution. Um, because Google has, this is coming from Google, okay? Google has the infrastructure to do this and, and do it right, theoretically. Plus, if you're using their Stadia controller, your controller is not connecting to your device. It's connecting directly to the game via Wi-Fi. So the input from the controller is being received immediately by the game. So I think that they could they could really surprise us here. But what I really want to talk about is the potential for accessibility here. Now, it's not it's not directly uh, out there. It's not it's not something that they advertise. It's not it, well you know accessibility with Stadia is an interesting beast because obviously. You know, I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, if the games aren't accessible, then what does it matter? Well, I'm actually not talking about the games. I acknowledge that if a game is not accessible, then obviously you can't play it accessibly on Stadia. There, you know, there you go. What I'm talking about is the platform itself. Now, we don't know yet. At least nothing that I've read or watched indicates that Stadia has, like, a, um, a hub. You know, like, a, can you go to a thing... And here's all the Stadia games, and you just click on one and you play it. I don't know if it has one, but if it does have one, uh, it's very likely to be uh, fully accessible. I'm I'm certain of that, because most Google things are fully accessible. Um, Google Docs is now, you know, Gmail is. You know, most everything Google has has uh, been modified for accessibility these days. So if there is a hub, I think that we'll be able to. Uh, to find it and play our games uh, from there. If there isn't, though, do consider this other form of accessibility. This accessibility feature that is not being marketed as an accessibility feature, but could very well be one. The very fact that when you are watching a YouTube video of, let's say, a trailer for a game available on Stadia, in the YouTube player there will be a play button, and if you're a Stadia customer, you can immediately launch the game. That, I think, is going to be, no matter what happens otherwise, no matter how accessible the hub is, or even if there is a hub or not, that is what's going to do it. That's what's going to clinch accessibility, I think. Because, at the very least, all we have to do is say, man, I want to play this game real bad right now. Let me go find a trailer real quick. I found one. Okay, YouTube's easy enough to use. Where's that play button? Aha! There it is, play on Stadia or something like that. Click that button, we're in the game. And from what I've heard, it's relatively instantaneous. You're in the game like five seconds later, it's crazy. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the accessibility of the platform itself. I think the platform itself is going to be monstrously accessible. Uh, if you play, if, if there is a hub, and there's a version of the hub that's on, you know, TVs that support Stadia, or, you know, a hub on, like, phones when that, when that starts happening, then that could be hit or miss. But I think, I think there'll probably be ways around that too. Uh, probably an easy way to transfer from screen to screen. I could be wrong about that. 
and I, I'll be happy to, uh, to, you know, you know, go back on that if that's not the case. But I think, I think that the whole idea was that it was going to be easy to take with you wherever you went and you can switch from screen to screen. No problem. You're just playing on something else now. So that is, is my thing. So why, why am I worried about this? Like if, if there aren't that many accessible games out there, why am I talking about accessibility of the platform? Well, it's true that they're not, there are not many accessible games out there. I mean, they are out there, but they're not, there, are, there are far more inaccessible games than there are accessible games, for at least if you're blind. The reason I'm bringing this up, though, is one of the things that I do, and I, I'm assuming a lot of other blind gamers probably do the same thing, is when we have an opportunity to mess around with something, when we have an, when have, when we have an opportunity to try a game and hope, against hope, but hope anyway, that it might be accidentally accessible, then we'll take it. So what I'm seeing Stadia as, and really, honestly, along with PlayStation Now, along with OnLive, which is no longer which no longer exists, it was absorbed by PlayStation Now. But anyway, um, what I'm seeing this as is an opportunity for us to try things. Even if we ultimately can't play them, this is a way for us to give it a go. And Stadia has a fairly decent model. I mean, I can't argue with it. It's $9.99 a month. And you get access to, they say the best of Stadia. Now, what that leads me to believe is it's not everything. And the reason I believe that is, number one, the wording. They say you get access to the best of Stadia for $9.99 a month. But on top of that, what, what leads me to believe that uh, is not everything is the fact that Ubisoft's Uplay Plus uh, service is coming to Stadia, which tells me that that is a separate thing you have to pay for separately to get access to all Ubisoft's games on Stadia. So that's, I believe the subscription model for Stadia doesn't give you everything, but I do think it gives you a lot of things. And at $9.99 a month, and I'm sure there'll be free, 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 free trials floating around too, I think it's an excellent platform for us to try things. For us to try things we never you know, thought we would try before, um, never had any desire, or you know, never had any way to try before in an easy way. And I think it'll be accessible enough of a platform that we'll be able to do that. We'll be able to, you know, pick a game that's on Stadia, be like, eh, I want to try, eh. Well, let's let, let's use an example that is going to be on Stadia, just for fun. I want to try Doom Eternal. But gosh darn it, I don't have uh, the console version. Or even let's go let's go a bit further. Gosh darn it, I don't have a console. What if you don't have Xbox One? What if you don't have PS4? And what if your PC, yeah, isn't great? Well, then your PC's not going to be able to run Doom Eternal. You don't have a console. What do you do? You try Stadia. You try, you know, if there's a free trial option, you try that. And that way you can try the game that you want to try and gauge for yourself how accessible it is. You know? Try it from the, cl- from the cloud. And if Stadia has the low latency that I expect it will probably have, especially on a good internet connection, as long as your connection's decent enough, you should be able to get a pretty clear picture of what uh, what you're in for. And also, it's worth pointing out that the Stadia has, uh, supports 5.1 surround sound as well. Again, your connection has to be good enough for it, but if it is, you can actually get a full picture from an auditory perspective of what you're in for with the game. So, you know, great stuff. Great stuff, in my opinion. I think there's a lot of potential here. I certainly tend to use it to mess around with things and try to find games I wouldn't normally find that might be accessible by accident. And once accessibility becomes a bigger deal, uh, which it already has started to do, you know what I'm saying? I think that Stadia will be a go-to place, even, for the blind and visually impaired as accessibility gets added to individual games themselves. You know, at that point, Stadia doesn't have to support it because it's, it's in the games themselves. You know what I'm saying? We are approaching an era where accessibility is much more important, it's much more mainstream, it's much more understood and recognized. So as we continue to get there, uh, Stadia, I think, is going to be a great place to go and explore that. Um, you know, it's not going to launch that way. It's, it's going to launch as a good way to mess around with a game and try to find an accidentally accessible game. But as the years go by, I feel like Stadia is going to be a, a good place to demo a lot of this, this uh, accessibility technology that's in individual games. Because it's going to be there, I'm telling you. A few years from now, it's going to be there. I have confidence. Alright, so that's my Stadia discussion. I'm going to discuss one more thing on this episode of the podcast, and that's going to be VR, and that's where we're going to close it out for today. But stay tuned for the VR discussion.
All right, last topic for this episode, guys. We're going to talk about VR and its potential for accessibility for the blind. Um, so I wrote a blog a long time ago about VR and about how, uh, well, well, about my experience with VR and how shocked I was at what happened when I tried a VR thing for the first time. And I want to talk a little, little bit about that because I think I think it should it cannot be understated how much potential VR has, virtual reality has, for accessibility for blind people. So, yes, VR has its problems. It's primarily marketed as a visual medium. It's uh, the, the, the thing they focus on is the fact that you can see things all around you. Um, that is what all VR sales are focused on. Look at this in cool VR. Wow, it's amazing. But what they don't focus on much, and what they should focus on more, is that you can also hear things all around you. Most VR... Um, clients, I guess you could say, um, use 3D audio. And because they do that, it opens up a brand new landscape of possibility for the totally blind, even the totally blind guys. So, in my article, while I had some bad VR experiences, I also had some amazing VR experiences. The, the, the highest, the highlight of which was, believe it or not, a shooting game, an on-rails shooter, called Until Dawn, Rush of Blood. That's right, an on-rails shooter. Alright? So in this game, you have the ability to aim wherever you like. You can aim it whichever direction you like. You can aim above you, you can aim below you, you can aim left, right, up, down, you know, every, every, every which way. You do this with the move controllers on PlayStation uh, VR, and this game uses tremendous 3D audio. Well, I should say it uses 3D audio in a tremendous way. With the 3D audio of this game, I could tell not only which direction my enemies were in, I could tell if they were above me or below me, and I could also tell how far away from me they were. So if I had to aim at an enemy, it was no problem to point the move controller in the direction where I was hearing things you know, move it out, move it, move it outwards a little bit. If I felt the enemy was far away, based on sound, and shoot the thing. And the thing is, I was succeeding at that. Like when I tried it for the first time, I only tried the demo, but it was enough. The demo itself is 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 three levels, so the demo is actually quite extensive uh, for a VR game. So, I was succeeding. I got through that entire demo, and I didn't just get through by accident. Like I, I didn't get through because I, you know accidentally shot things. I was legitimately shooting things in in a VR game. So th that's really the main point of this discussion is I just can't understate how cool VR can be if you're if you're blind. And if you're a developer out there listening to this and thinking about going into VR if you're already in VR, you know, consider the audio. Do the 3D audio right and you may surprise yourself by making an experience that even the totally blind can immerse themselves in. It's shocking. It's amazing. VR is by far, if you're a blind person, VR is the best way to experience a shooter of any. Because you have, you have more of a one-to-one -one perspective. If you're holding a controller in, in a non-VR shooter and you're moving the thumbstick around to aim at things, the fact is you don't really know. You don't 100% know for sure exactly where you're aiming if you're totally blind. You can't see the crosshairs, you know? You can't, um, you can hear the audio, and the audio might be great. And you might have centered the audio, you know, in, in, in relatively, like, the, the, in, in the stereo channels, the enemy might appear to be in front of you. But who knows? It could be in front of you far off. It could be in front of you but above you. It could be in front of you but below you. And you don't know if you're aiming up or down, really. Because nothing in most shooter games indicates whether you're aiming higher, you know, too high or too low. So with this, you needn't worry about that. You control the aim yourself. You point your, your weapon, uh, a.k.a. your move controller in this case, you point it up or you point it down, you point it straight ahead, you point it to the left. You do that. You do that until you, 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 the sound of your, your weapon firing lines up with the sound of the enemy. And most of the time, in my experience, it works perfectly. I legitimately slaughtered some dudes all up in that game. It was great. It was fantastic. So this this basically is a message to other blind gamers out there and to developers to not ignore VR. 
because it has that potential and um, it's it's worth it it's worth it um, it's there are there are possibilities there and I, I only hope that a developer takes full advantage of this because this it, it could be amazing if they do uh, so this this is you know this is not a very long segment but it wasn't really intended to be I just wanted to to get that out there um, I'm gonna do a quick outro and then we're gonna close the thing out I'll be right back guys Thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. I cannot express enough how appreciative I am that you listen to this show. Um, this is the first of many. I want to do this. Um, I'm locked in to doing this. I really, really enjoy the idea of this, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I hope that you guys enjoy it too. Uh, I will apologize one more time for the fact that I'm uh, kind of ill, and uh, I know that's been showing up in my voice, and I hope it hasn't bothered you too much, but. You know, I apologize for that. Uh, I hope you got something uh, out of this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, please feel free to comment. Uh, send voice messages to the show. I am. I would be happy to do a segment where I respond to voice messages. Send voice messages if you're on Anchor. Uh, if you're if you're listening to this on Spotify or iTunes, follow me. Talk to me about this. Let's let's discuss. Let's let's. You know, I'm I'm always open for discussion. So let's do that. Uh, follow me on Twitter at SuperBlindMan. Uh, if you want to see my Twitch stream, where I stream gameplay, uh, and also while streaming, I, I do I strive to entertain, but I also strive to educate on how blind people play games. Follow me on twitch.tv slash SuperBlindMan. Uh, you can also follow me on uh, uh, YouTube. That's the thing. YouTube.com slash SuperBlindMan as well. Um, so check me out. If, you, if you're interested in this, do so. Um, and let me know you're interested. Let me know that uh, you liked the show if you did. If you didn't, let me know that as well. And uh, give me feedback, you know, if you haven't. Again, I apologize for the uh, under-the-weather nature of this recording. Um, but expect me again next week with more of this. And uh, I'm not going to announce any guest plans yet. I do have plans for guests, but I don't know how soon that's going to start. So expect more of this next week. I will see you guys then. Thank you again for listening, and have a wonderful, awesome, tremendous day.